Good morning, everybody. You are listening to Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. Our show is sponsored by Abels and Hyman. We taste better. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Naomi Nachman, and I'm about all the food all the time. I love food. I love shopping for it. I love cooking it. I love eating at restaurants, anything food-related. I'm a kosher personal chef. My business is called the Aussie Gourmet. I cater for people for Shabbos, for Yontov. Anytime you don't feel like cooking, you can give me a call. I hope you'll tune in every week and hear about my exciting cooking adventures, my kosher food traveling. Um, I have a new hashtag for that, kosher travel junkie. That's a good one, right, CK? <laughs> I'm a real kosher travel junkie. Um, and, okay, so, um, and I have great guests every week, and especially this week. I'll introduce them in a couple of minutes. But I want to hear about your ex- experiences too, so give me uh, an email, Naomi at NachumSiegel.com. You can join my fan page um, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. I think I got them all. Um, and I have a website, theaussiegourmet.com, and a newsletter that goes out every once in a while, which has been a little while since I've sent out my last one. But I've got some amazing Hanukkah recipes coming up and a couple for Thanksgiving as well. So let's get down to business. We have a great show this week. Our friend Naftali now is joining us all the way from Brooklyn, from Grow and Behold Meats. And I have Barbara Bensasun, writer for the Mishpacha magazine, cookbook author. So much to talk about and her incredible journey uh, that she's had as well. She's brought us in a, a cookbook, and we're going to chat about that and lots of exciting um, meat recipes for Thanksgiving, which is pretty much next week. So uh, we've got to get it down. This is our last show before Thanksgiving. Okay, the winner from last week, DK, need a drum roll for Miriam Pascal's cookbook. I know we only had a week. Last week I was at the Kosher Food Bloggers Conference. We had such a good time. We had so many amazing guests. Make sure you watch it. Like if you get a chance, Go to the Nachum Siegel Net channel on YouTube and watch it. It was a fabulous show. We had a great time, a lot of energy in that room. Um, so Miriam Pascal was on the show, and she gave away a cookbook. Uh, so we're going to announce the winner of her book. All right, let's get that drum roll. And the winner is Elisa Wolf. Woo! Last week we had an applause. Okay, Elisa, make sure you... Oh, oh, he's good. He's the best. Thank you, ZK. Um, Elisa, make sure you we get your address and we'll get that book out to you as soon as possible. Okay, so now we're going down to uh, our amazing uh, Quick Kosher Fest roundup. I had a great time. It was a really good show, right, guys? Great a lot of fun. A great kiddish, right? Yeah. The world's biggest kiddish. There you go. We, we actually all met up at the same day. Not at the same time, but everyone was there. All the who's who of kosher food. Um, but a re- really great time. I just want to give a shout out to the following um, uh, foods that I tried that I really liked. Um, Shy's chocolate makes, even though it's Shy's chocolate, they make the best caramels. Um, I want to give them a mention. Caramel sea salt, sick, right? Like, I just don't like picking it out of my teeth afterwards. And but chalavis roll. Ch- right, chalavis roll. Bonus. It was a, it's, it's good for everyone. I love that. Um, Ellie's fresh herring. Mina's shakshuka sauce. Did you guys try that? I missed that. It was in the back. Oh my gosh. Uh, I have to get you some. It was amazing. I never. Like the cheater's way to do shakshuka. Ch- cheater's way, but you know what? Skillet and put the eggs on top. But you know what? That's, it's good. It was good. I thought it was going to be awful. I like to make everything from scratch myself. I was really impressed with it. So I was, I, I liked it. Shakshuka in a jar coming to your store soon. Uh, Elby's cheese from France. Really delicious. 
flavorful, super flavorful cheese, and as well as the cheese guy, Brent Delman. He'll be in here for our show um, the first week of December. We're going to have him on with a wine, uh, French wine and French cheeses. Um, uh, we're going to have that, uh, I think, December 4th or 5th. Um, bootleggers Vodka, the Squirrel Brand Nuts, and Pelle Poultry. Um, I thought they were really outstanding. They had cherry duck sausages I thought were great, and squab. That was cool. Um, and then congratulations to Jack's Gourmet, who had uh, – they were actually the winners for their pulled brisket. They now make pulled brisket in a um, – it looks like it comes in a, like a gigantic sausage casing and you plop it in hot water and you have instant pulled brisket. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. Um, so, yeah, we had a kosher feast dinner. Um, I was actually honoured at that, so that was nice. We had a good time. And that was out in one of my favourite restaurants, Tea Fusion, and they made donuts filled with chopped liver, which inspired me to a whole new donut get-together cook-up, which we'll talk about actually on next week's show. Yeah, so it was pretty intense, yeah. It was a big week. It was a big week last week. It was a really big week. I kind of like trying to like decompress now. (laughs) I spent two days at home just doing paperwork and catch-up. I was away two weeks before that and now back from Kosher Fest. It was like two weeks on the road. It's time to get focused and back together again, and we've got Thanksgiving and Hanukkah. And when I was planning my Thanksgiving show a couple of weeks ago, there's only one guy I must have on my show, Naftali Hanal. So shame Anna couldn't come in. Thank you. Yeah, Anna's actually um, in the warehouse today helping with all the paperwork for all of our Thanksgiving buying clubs. We have Uh, turkeys shipping out all over the country right now. So let's with that, let's go straight into turkeys, and then we'll come back a little bit. I have a very big question about turkeys. Is it true that there's a shortage in America for turkeys? So actually, yes. Um, it's it's all related to avian influenza, the bird flu stuff, um, because there were a lot of flocks that had to be destroyed. It's pretty, I mean, it's actually kind of tragic if you think about it, but um, tons of poultry operations had to literally just, just kill and destroy um, thousands and thousands of birds that were infected in the middle of the country. When did this happen? This happened over the summer. And it put a lot of pressure on the poultry industry in general and hatcheries. So we actually, we got some of our turkey. What's a hatchery? A hatchery is the place where the chickens are bred and hatched. And usually what the way it works is our farmers don't raise chickens from eggs. They get chicks from a hatchery or turkey poults. So our poults came in late. Our turkeys this year are a little smaller than they were last year because they got a late start because there were shortages of poults in the market this summer. Our turkeys went onto the farm in July, in June and July, and they were shechted a couple of weeks ago, and now they're going out. Um, and this is, you know, everybody thinks, well, I need an 18-pound turkey, and I need a 14-pound turkey. And it's great that what you need, but this is still agriculture. This is still, you know, farmers and God working together yeah, to, you know, to make food. And it's not, you know, the turkey doesn't come from the store, even if you buy it there. You could buy two turkeys. If you, you need a huge turkeys. turkey, just buy two. That means there's four drumsticks. Well, we actually, we've been making half turkeys a lot. We actually, we sell half yeah, turkeys. Yeah, you sent me one of those. I'm cooking that up for Shabbos. Yeah, so we, we sell half turkeys because, I mean, Thanksgiving is great. We actually, people eat a lot of turkey at Thanksgiving, but we sell as much turkey the rest of the year as we do, you know, we tell more turkey during the rest of the year than we do on Thanksgiving because it's actually delicious. Our pasture turkey is even leaner than regular turkey and okay. very flavorful. Let's talk about what pastured means. Yes, Because sure. Grow and Behold, that's your specialty. That's why you go to Grow and Behold for your pastured meats. Yeah, now, so we sell chicken, turkey, is. duck, beef, lamb, and rose veal. All of our animals are raised outdoors on pasture. It means they have room to run around. They can eat grass like nature intended them to, like God intended them to. Um, they taste better. They're happier animals. 
Um, and those things lead to a better tasting product, in fact. So what do you mean? Like your animals are running around eating grass, but what are the other animals that typically, you know, that we're getting our meat from? So... You know, I'm just in, trying to educate everybody. In general, we try what? not to poo-poo on what other people do. Right. No, I'm but, just, but what's conven- the alternative? I, so you know, con- like conventional, conventional animal, meat. Let's conventional about animal conven- agriculture in America generally involves keeping animals in the smallest amount of space, typically or often and typically indoors, so that they can grow faster. And, and fatter and cheaper, which means cheap meat. We have very cheap meat in this country. We have cheaper, cheaper meat than ever before historically. Americans eat more meat than they ever have. Um, and, you know, look, we, we all have to do what we have to do to feed our families. Um, but, you know, people are starting to realize that every time you sit down at the table to eat, you're actually making a choice about the kind of world you want to live in. How food is produced really does have um, consequences and effects on the the planet that we live on, on the environment, on the health of the workers, the health of the animals. So um, a lot of people are buying our meat not just because it tastes better, which it does, because when you raise animals naturally, they really do taste better. I mean, we call our chicken, our poultry brand is Sarah's Spring Chicken. Because when I was learning Shrita and I started shechting these pasture-raised birds on the farm and I served these, you know, at our Shabbos table, my grandmother, Sarah, says, oh, it tastes like spring chicken. I haven't had this since I was a child in Poland. Like it tastes <laughs> like it tastes like a different thing. Uh, it's got a lot more flavor. So that that's what we do. We make sure that our animals and our, our farmers are raising their animals properly. They're outdoors. They have plenty of room to move around. They can express their natural behaviors. Also, their diet is you know is I would say superior to what conventional animals are eating. What's a typical chicken diet? I mean, I know um, it's. Grain, grass, and bugs. They 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 have they get grain in their diet. They get feed. The feed has no GMOs, um, but they need to eat feed or else they won't grow. Okay. Um, but our chickens and our chickens are raised in movable pens. So every day the farmers are taking these these pens, which are plenty big enough for the chickens to run around, and they drag the pens forward or backward, whatever, to fresh pasture. So the chickens now have a fresh patch of grass. They eat the grass. They peck around in the bugs. They scratch around in the dirt. They leave their deposits right there. And then the next day it moves to the next spot, and that fertilizes the field so that the next year the farmers will grow grain or other crops on those fields. They don't have to use synthetic fertilizers to do that. They're just using the natural fertilizers from the chickens. Um and the chickens are very, very happy because they get to eat that grass and eat the bugs and eat all the things that they are, you know, Naturally bodies are, wanting, des- wanting to eat are designed to eat. And they yeah. get to scratch and peck, which is what chickens like to do. Um, so they do all the, you know, they behave naturally. It, you know, definitely costs a little bit more and it takes a lot more time to do it. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You just get a great tasting product. Isn't it also nutritionally better for you if they're grass-fed and insect-fed? Very good question, Barbara Bensasoon. Excellent. You're a great journalist. So, <laughs> you know, every, everybody says everybody everybody says yes. I'm not a doctor. I don't make health claims. You know, we're you know we don't commission expensive scientific studies to say you know my chicken is better than other chicken. Um, but but yes, I mean a lot of the science and a lot of these certainly the anecdotal evidence points to, you know, chickens and animals that are eating natural diets and raised outdoors have better omega-3 to omega-6 ratios and all that stuff. You know, we also like our chickens, none of our animals, they don't get any antibiotics or, you know, growth-promoting antibiotics or hormones. And that's another big thing is when you don't, you know, so you know that our meat is clean. You know, even if it's not, even if you're not concerned with is the meat itself healthier because of what the animals are eating, just because of what they're not eating and what they're not right. being fed, and we know that. And what they eat, you eat. So it affects us on all levels. You are, Even you in are terms what, of you, are what you eat. Right? Because you always hear how poultry farms have this terrible runoff. 
yeah. of the, well, and that, that's, the droppings, that's, and you're saying they're being recycled to fertilize the, that's the thing. It's a nice well, 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 that's one of the incredible things about you know modern, large-scale conventional agriculture has taken what, you know, as, as we like to call them farm, manure, manure, right. mm-hmm. um, which for thousands and thousands and thousands of years was an incredibly valuable asset as fertilizer, and we've taken that and made it into a pollution issue. By putting these animals in such density and in such large numbers, we've taken an asset and made it into a liability. So that's not what we do. Our, you know, our animals are outdoors. They're on pasture. They're fertilizing the fields that are then growing feed for next year's chickens. So we try, you know, we try and close the loops as best as we can. We do also make sure that our workers are being paid fairly. They have access to health care. Our butchers are part of a union. That's amazing. You know, we sustain, sustain, and and, and that's also something that's very important. I'm going to come work for him. I know, right? Can we have a job? Maybe yeah, we'll talk afterwards <laughs> off the air. Um, you know, that's another big thing is, you know, you know, we'll, we'll take all customers. You know, we, we want you to try our meats. They're great. You're going to love them. And they are. I, I just want to, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see that I'm a huge fan of Grumpa Hold Meat. The Denver Steaks, particularly. Denver Steaks. Like, okay, yeah. watch. Go to my Naomi Nachman Instagram page and you'll see my Denver Steaks from but, Monday you know, night's p- dinner. People come to us from all different angles. There are people who are totally focused on sustainability. So that's why they want to buy from us. There are other people who want the cleanest stuff or the healthiest meat. And there are other people who just want the highest quality meat. And that's great. We've got, you know, that's us. That's what we do. But one of the big things is as we try and grow our business and educate the customer base in the market is that sustainability is not just about one thing. You know, people who are just so focused on their own health, which is great. And I'm not telling you you shouldn't be concerned about your own health. But what about the people who are cutting up your chicken breasts? Do they have yeah. workers' comp insurance? If they cut themselves when they're filleting out your chicken breast fillets, are they going to be adequately protected? This has no effect on your kid's health when they're eating the chicken breast, you know. That's but amazing. but it's still something to think about. And our, and our Jewish values, you know, we have so much stuff in our history and in our body of law about protecting those who don't have, protecting our workers. Workers have to be paid. You know, day laborers halakhically have to be paid every day. And, you know, it's important that if we're in the kosher industry and we're trying to, you know, say we are sustainable, that we're not just sustainable from the perspective of the individual human health or the environmental health or the animals, the workers, all of this stuff has to come together if we really want to be sustainable. That's why our farmers are paid well over, you know, conventional market prices for their for the meat. You know, it's it's um this is almost a sheer. Right? It's a shoe. No, Rabbi. Shochet, Shochet, not a rabbi, not a rabbi. <laughs> what? A, still, that title's pretty cool too. Uh, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. I, I just, I just feel that like there's such a great point to what you're saying. Like as, as a observant Jew, and I like to think that I try to get everything in and learning and growing every single day. I never thought about the big picture about the workers. And it's look, right? it's, it's like, a it's a process. We're we're working. You know, it's it's on another level. It's, it is my job to think about that stuff. Making kosher meat is not something that, you know, the DIY movement can really jump on board. You can't just go to the farmer's market and buy a kosher steak from Farmer Joe. No. You need shochtim, you need bodkim, you need mashkichim, you need people who know how to do the nikor and remove the veins and who know how to soak and salt the meat and all of this stuff. And, you know, it's true that 30, 40, 50 years ago, a lot, the soaking and salting was done at home. My mother knows how to do it. For sure. And I wish I more, it, yeah. I wish more people knew how to do it. And at the same time, it is not the case that everybody used to shech their own chickens. There's a reason why we also have a body of law that requires the people who kill our animals for food are highly trained, vetted, and accountable to the community. Shochtim have to be accountable. You have to know who they are. They have to, you know, the, the, you know, they, they can't be drunks. They can't be, you know, people with, without good character because you have to be able to check on them. You have to be able to trust that they're doing this serious work 
well and at a high level. I like it. Maybe we didn't used to have so many people working for, under us also. I think it was done on a much smaller scale in the past. But then again, what price Kiddush Hashem when you're treating your workers properly? and uh, Unbelievable, right? Yeah. What, what hashgacha are you under? We are OU Lot. Our poultry is, most of our poultry is, all of our poultry also has chaser shishchita. Um, our, our, our turkey and our chicken is also under the CHK. And our poultry is under Rabbi Gruber, I be, sorry, our poultry, our duck, I believe, is under Rabbi Gruber's hashgacha. But I have to double check. We shechted some ducks with pella poultry this year. Um, oh, nice. But we, we are under the OU. I know all of our shochtim. I trained with a lot of them when I was learning shechita at the David Elliott plant. Um, our red meat is actually, it is chassidish shechita, but we do not pay for additional hashgacha. Our main shochet is a ger chassid. He's a mensch. He's got some of the best knives in town. He oh. knows how to treat the people he works with, and he knows how to treat the animals properly. Um, and one thing that we are not particularly interested in is, you know, bringing on additional hashgachas um, at additional cost and potentially putting our existing shochtim who have, you know, done a lot for me as I've come into the world of kosher meat out of work to satisfy, you know, the, the, you know, everybody, because every, everybody, you know, it's very complicated. It gets complicated. Everybody wants this, you know, we work with the OU. Anybody who has questions is, you know, we will give them the number of our rabbinic coordinator at the OU. They can ask about our shlita. We've got one of the best in the country. It's small, it's Hamish, and it is very, very good. Wow. So, so you, you, you said a lot. You were talking a little bit about, no, I, it's a lot to process and everyone's hopefully busy in their kitchens cooking up a storm. I admit so many listeners at Kosher Fest, like people stop me, um, at Kosher Fest saying, Hey, Naomi Nachman, I recognize the voice. And, and we have so You're many listeners. Great MC. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank, yeah. I emceed the, uh, actually, I just got the video. You can go online, um, and have a look at the, um, video. I emceed the, um, what do you call it? Cooking the, the cooking competition chopped. It was a uh, iron chef style, and we had a lot of fun doing that. But so a lot of our guests, our listeners, are, are cooking away and they're listening. And you said, made you just gave a whole list of different things that are involved in shchita and trebering and all that. So let's take it back to young Naftali. How did you get into? And you're going to walk us through this whole process, and and all the along the way. How you got into being a shochet and then so I was I'm, I, I was a carnivore growing up. I, <sighs> I love love feed the man meat and love, and feed me nach me meat. <laughs> love the meat, the kosher. I grew up in Rochester, New York, Lippman's Kosher Market, still around, right around the corner from my house. I would actually get off the bus a stop early, go into the butcher shop, you know, pick <laughs> stuff up, charge it to my mother's account. There was, it's hilarious. Yeah, she loves to tell people at the time that I like I, I got two lamb chops. I went home, I cooked them up for myself. You know, and she called the butcher and she said, if you ever sell that boy lamb chops and don't send lamb chops home for me, I'm not paying the bills anymore. So that didn't happen again. Um, but She's also a carnivore, I guess. Yes. Um, That's great. So, you know, when I grew up just like everybody else, I went to day school, you know, and we learned in day school, kosher meat is better. It's more humane. Shlita is painless. The stuff is great. Um, then when I was, um, you know, when I, as I was getting older and I was in college and after that, I, I, I did this program called the Adama program. Um, which is a leadership training program that takes Jews in their 20s, um, cross-denominational, takes them to the Isabella Friedman Jewish Retreat Center, a place that's now run by Hazon, and brings them together for three months to work on an organic farm, goats, chickens, vegetables, um, build, you know, learn how to live together as a community and become leaders in the Jewish environmental movement. I started to learn about some of the issues that we talked about with conventional agriculture. Um, and, you know, of course, I was a college student. I got very fiery. I said, wait a minute, how can this be kosher? If kosher animals are raised like this, how can this be kosher? Well, it's very simple. It's kosher because kosher is about how is the animal killed and how is it processed. And you can, you know, it doesn't mean the animals were the happiest animals. It means that they were, you know, shechted 
and supervise accordingly. Um, but so I was working on farms. I was learning about, you know, conventional agriculture, and I didn't want to eat the conventional kosher meat available. There was nobody making good kosher meat. But at that point, my wife and I, she was not my wife then, but when we met, we were planning to have a farm. You know, we figured we would, you know, move back to the Rochester area, have an organic farm, grow vegetables, maybe grow some chickens, and I would learn shlita so we could check their chickens. What are we going to do? We're going to fly a shochet in from New York to check the chickens once a year? That's silly. I should learn to do it. So there were two problems with the whole plan. One is learning shlita, not a big deal, right? Simple. Not simple, especially for a guy like me, you know, a modern Orthodox kid. This is not an easy world to break into. Um, and the other part is how Who's typically in it. Chassidim and Chassidim. And, and with all of the push, push, push towards Chassidish Shechita, it actually has the effect of pushing out Shochtim and people who are learning this craft in the yeshivish or just the, you know, the, the, the Misnagdish world. Because every, you know, everybody, you know, even people who don't actually have a minhag of Chassidish Shechita or don't even know, they just think, oh, Chassidish Shechita is a higher level, so that's what I need. And I'm not poo-pooing Chassidish Shechita, I'm not poo-pooing anybody's minhag, but that's just, the effect is that this this world has become more concentrated. Um, and the other difficulty with our, you know, grand plan was how many people do you know who are Shomer Shabbos, live on a farm, send their kids to day school, and walk to shul in America? Um, yeah, I can't think of anyone at the top of my head. Uh, you. So, well, well, I, I actually, <laughs> I live. I've been to your house in Brooklyn. Well, yeah, I mean, that's as close as we get to the farm, but, uh, you know. <laughs> your backyard with chickens. So. Um, yeah, Israel, maybe. Yeah, but not in America. Yeah, right? And like, so, really, I don't know anyone. So, you know, it's funny, because as soon as I started learning Shlita, I think that my mother knew that I was going to be in the meat business. I come from a business family. We wanted good meat, and we started eating this. You know, my Rebbe, Amazing. when I, I learned I learned Shlita from a great Rebbe, um, I found a guy in Crown Heights who taught me. He took me on. It was a very intensive How process. How long did it take? It took me about three months, but I did it very intensively. Like, I went with him to the plant in Scranton and spent, you know, the week with him, like, basically living the life of the show. It was like, wake up at five, go to the mikvah, go to the Dafyomi Shir, go to Minion, go to the plant. Spend all day right. there you, at the you plant. You go to the mikvah before you shave. Sh- sh- I, I don't. I'm not a chassid. Okay. That's one of the things that chassidic sh- I thought maybe it was like do. a thing that no, people but I was do learning, to get I'm, all I'm, holy. I'm learning from a chassid. I go to the mikvah. If he's going to eat my shlita, I try and go to the mikvah. Because, you know, like awesome. before I had my final test, I went to the mikvah that morning and he took home a piece of chicken to eat it for Shabbos. Excellent. So. I passed. You passed. Um, but anyway, so so it took me about three months. The, it actually ended on, which is this is the funniest part, is it ended about half a mile from where I live now, across the street from one of the big kosher organizations. One of the you know one of the heads came out. You know he checked my knives. He watched me shecht three chickens on the street in Crown Heights on Friday afternoon. Checked the chickens; they were kosher. Checked my knives; they were kosher. And then my rebbe proceeded to like field dress these chickens on the street. What do you mean field dress? They've got to be you know. Skinned because we didn't pluck them because that would have taken a long time, but skinned and gutted. Right. Okay. So he did that. Is anyone passing out? Send me an email. So so he did that on the street in Crown Heights, and oh, now that's like so I don't cool. know eight, eight or ten years later, now I live you know on the other, right on the other side of Eastern Parkway, less than a mile away from. Any there. vegetarians listening? Just send me an email. Sorry. <laughs> yes, I'm. I, you uh, know, I, I believe whatever people like to do is all good. I just hope I'm not anyway, <laughs> sending so, but, anyone. But I, you know, so I so I learned Shlita, and as we were kind of coming to the realization that. You know, this kind of farming wasn't going to be compatible with the lifestyle we wanted to live. Um, we also saw that there was no good ethici- ethical and sustainable kosher meat on the market. And we said, you know, and as soon as I got my Kabbalah, my license to chef poultry, like two days later, I got a package in the mail from my Rebbe with big knives. You know, like Beautiful. 12. He was like, you know, keep, keep How going. How much do the knives cost? Um, the knives are expensive. And where do they come the from? They come and from two guys. There's, who- two, there's two guys who make them. In this country or in um, Israel? One in the, one that I know of in this country, and I think there's one, maybe two guys in Israel who make them. 
Um, they literally like pound them down like you see in the old no, fashioned. No, not not right. like that. They usually they'll, they'll buy steel from Japan and they they, they you know they, with they, certain materials that are good for handles. I mean, there's a lot of special requirements for the shlita knife. These guys are shochtim too, so they know the, the knives and they're handy, so they they make knives. They probably cost a thousand bucks at least. Um, good, yes, good knives for red meat animals, yes, can cost that oh. much money, and poultry shlita knives can cost a couple hundred bucks. Okay. Um, or more, and I've got a couple. I've got a couple of the knives made by you know these 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 relative new guys. I've got a couple of historical knives, and you know a couple that were gifts, and that's just. I actually have my great grandfather's chalif. My great grandfather. What's it called? The chalif. Chalif. Right? Yep. And not a shchita knife is called a chalif. So my. This is a good story coming my, up, right? My great grandfather. In uh, in Germany was a shochet and a school teacher in the town of Fulda, and I actually have his knife um, that my grandmother. Found I've got and the gave chills. Me. Yeah. So. Oh no. Um, but anyway, so I, I never actually take the hair off your arm with. Yeah, you could. I mean, one, one could. Um, I I haven't. But, I heard but, that's a way you test if your knife is so sharp if you yeah, can trim the hair on your arm. You just check it against it. Like your what? Hand. Not a fingernail. Well, your yeah, fingernail is how you check for nicks. And then you just uh. you know touch it against your palm I'm, to see I'm how, sh- how, how hands. sharp it is. No stitches. Um, no, no. I'm, I have I'm lots of. I have a couple of. I have a couple of uh, cuts because every, every year we I go back up to Adama with my Rebbe Adama in Connecticut, this farm, and we shecht all the boy goats from the dairy from the goat dairy operation. Who so, eats the goats? Ari White and the people there. <laughs> um, so, Ari, Ari's coming in a few weeks to the show. Make sure you tune in in a couple. Um, end of December. So. Um, you know, I don't know, it was two weeks ago. We spent the Sunday. We went up Saturday night after Shabbos. We shechted all the goats. We did all the trapering, all the removing all the veins. We soaked and salted them. I'd actually want to watch. It, I miss it, my call as a surgeon. So I would go and... I mean, we. it's funny because, I mean, I actually do educational shechitas. Like, you could hire me to come to your school and shech three chickens for the kids and everybody gets <laughs> to plug in. I, I personally think that every kid who graduates Jewish day school... Should see a chicken shlita. I personally know someone in Australia. He's now a, an adult, and they took him to um, in Australia. I think we call them abattoirs. Yes, that's that's uh, it's the, the right word, right? Here, Abattoir yeah. to the shlita house. Schlachthaus. Schlacht the house. And and they he watched the shlita, and he became a vegetarian. He was like twelve. He's well, never so eaten here's meat here's, since. The, here's the thing. <laughs> I I I've, 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 I've probably done dozens of these educational shlita. I've uh, never made one person a vegetarian. Okay. Now, if you just take somebody with no preparation, you probably and they had walk pre, in and they walk into a sh- well, look. The schlachthaus is not a place for everybody. No, it is. No, my husband loud, could not handle. It is bloody. It is very intense um, because we're trying to make meat affordably. You have to do it at scale. You need equipment. You have to work at a certain speed. You know, we work in small slaughterhouses. It's still a very intense environment. I love the idea of seeing where my food came from. Like I like fishing because I like to like I. It's the whole yeah. where it, I like to grow my own vegetables. I grow tomatoes and herbs every year. But kids For who grow up, and who like are, to ki- see- kids who are in day school should be learning some of the basics of the laws of kosher. They should understand what this stuff is. And a chicken shlita is also it's just it's not when it's done by somebody who's not just a good shochet, but also knows how to teach, knows how to talk, and you can do it, it's it's not traumatic, and it's not. Um, it's really it's not. It's actually it's fascinating if you can dissect. Uh, fr- boys, you, I think twelfth grade boys should go. What, g- girls, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the they, kids think that yeah. chicken grows. No, but I think If you can dissect a frog in sixth grade, you can <laughs> see a chicken shrita and help pluck a chicken in eighth grade. And, I'm and, sorry. And, it's just, and, I, and I have four daughters. I don't even have boys. Some would come and some wouldn't. Yeah. 
<laughs> again, I, I'm not one of the person, who, people, one of the people who says like you have to be willing to kill your own meat if you're going to eat meat. I don't believe that's the case. That's why we have shochdim. That's why right. we have this whole and, body of tradition. And, and that's how we have gourmet that packaging it up for you, so you don't have to deal with the thinking behind the whole well, process. Also, but 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 we should know. Like I said, every time you sit down to eat, and especially when you eat meat, these these, these are these are in some ways these are moral choices. The animals you're eating. We're living creatures at one point. They lived, and were they comfortable? Were they treated with respect? You know, these Hashem are fu- made them too. Yeah, you know, we were given dominion over the animals, and does it mean that we can do whatever we want with them, or does it mean that you know, like I, I have chickens in my backyard. I have a partnership with them. They're not pets. They're not named. When they stop laying eggs, I will shech them myself, and my nanny will take them home and eat them. She's Jamaican. She loves a fresh chicken. Why uh, don't you eat them? Because I have a warehouse full of chicken. I'm not going to oh. say, I don't, I don't need oh, to, I don't, okay. I don't, okay. I, I don't need it. to like pluck it got in my it. backyard. You okay. know, like got I'm busy. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. But, I, 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 thought, I, mean, I have a question. If you don't sure. shech them, then what happens to them? I mean, they, 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 keep, they don't they, die in their beds, do they? They I mean, keep do they eating get sick, and they, they don't lay eggs. Eventually they'll die, they would die of old age, but I'm not going to feed a chicken for five years when it's not laying eggs. It's got to be productive part I mean, of society. It might society. be a, a more a painless death for them to just get shechted it, it, and be, a, it's, have it's, to be over in a, a minute than to get it, sick. They, and they provide <laughs> us with food. We provide them with a, you know, a safe, comfortable life. You know, much safer and more comfortable than they would ever get, you know, living in the wild. Wild getting I mean, there's no wild chickens anymore. And but. the eggs from, fresh eggs from a farm or from, from your house. Is amazing. They are, the best. They are in shakshuka. Let's bring it back to shakshuka. We've come full circle before we eat this plate of meat. So the color's different. It's orange. They're, they're a yolk orange. is orange, not yellow. All Australian eggs are also um, pastured. We don't have this. They're free range. We don't have this American stuff. So it's on the but, way out. but it's double. It's double the price. Eggs in Australia are very expensive you because you, of that. You get what you pay for. With yeah, the there you go. But I I love it. I love going to the farmers market. In the summer, I was here in Union Square. Um, and we bought some eggs from a guy that came from Lancaster County, like fresh, fresh eggs. It was lovely. Mm-hmm. I understand also they have less cholesterol. Less cholesterol and so tasty. Hmm. So, you know. Oh, can we also just get back to the turkey for a second? Oh, we're going back because to the turkey. We have turkey, we have turkey here. Eggs. Yeah, we have turkey on the plate. We're going to eat. have a little Thanksgiving. We're previewing. Well, we, we're going to be flashing with us. I'll think about it. Well, Anna and I have been been testing all of these different turkey recipes and releasing them. But if you want to order a turkey from us, our turkeys are going to be delivered on the Monday and Tuesday before Thanksgiving. That's this coming week. That's this coming week. So you better get on the computers right now. We deliver on Monday. We'll be delivering in the five towns, the North Shore, Queens, Brooklyn, Westchester, and Riverdale. Um, So for those areas, you need to order by 10 a.m. on Sunday. And on Tuesday, we'll be delivering in Essex and Bergen and all of Manhattan. And for those places, you have to order by 5 a.m. Monday. Practically speaking, that's Sunday night. So place your order, Motze Shabbos, or even better right now, we've got a coupon for all of Naomi's fabulous listeners. It's Table42. That's the number four and the word two, T-W-O. So So spill it out. Table, T-A-B-L-E, four, T-W-O. Table for two. First-time customers, $15 off your $100 order. Um, we deliver all over. We also do ship nationwide. You can still get a turkey shipped out before um, before Thanksgiving. We'll be shipping on Monday and Tuesday. 
just I'm giving a plug for the Denver steaks, okay? Just magnificent. Yes, and you can throw in a box of Denver steaks <laughs> with your turkey. You certainly won't regret it. Thanksgiving, remember, the kids are coming home. It's a long weekend. It's like Yantif. You've got to cook on Thursday, and then you've got to cook for Shabbos, and then you've got to cook Motze Shabbos because Shabbos is over at like 530. So right, yeah. you need to order a lot, but don't worry. We got you covered. We're stocked. <laughs> um, and all year. He's stocked all year. I, I we've love got, it. We've got really great stuff, so check it out. Um, a lot of my customers have been requesting that I cook for the um, from my personal chef business, please can you order Grand Bahal Meat? So throughout the summer, I think every other week I was ordering yes, from you, you were, guys. And we love it. So yeah, just keep it coming and keep, the, you know, I, I love this that you're a family business also. Our family business. Where are the farms? Who, farms what farms are do you work Southern, with? We, we, but you don't own the farms. You we work, don't own the farms. Work with we farmers. work with farms who are also family businesses. They're mostly in Southern Pennsylvania, Northern Maryland, and Virginia. Okay. Um, everybody is basically within an easy day's drive. Uh, depending on the time of year, we're working with you know ten to ten to twelve different farms um, between the turkey, the chicken, the duck, the beef, the lamb, and the veal. Cool. Who came up with your name? Um, that's a good one. Good so, one. I love it. You really are a journalist. <laughs> she really um, is. <laughs> we um, we had a contest when we got married. I don't know now. Now six, seven, eight years ago. Oh, the um, newlyweds. <laughs> yeah, feels like forever, in a good way. Um, when we got married, we still thought, I, the day after our wedding, we looked at a property on the Erie Canal to, to farm on it. So we had to name our farm contest at the wedding. And one of our, my wife's best friend's mother came up with the name Grow and Behold. And, you know, when we made the switch, you really a mental switch from farming to, to, to meat, we said, you know what, that is brilliant. That's still a great name. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and it's it's everywhere. You guys are everywhere. Let's try some of this. Okay, yeah. So let me tell you what I got here. We're gonna have a little meat party. Let's 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 show it show it off here. Um, so yeah. Sorry, sorry for those of you on the radio. This is the homemade pastrami. Okay, quickly stop what you're doing. Rinse your hands off from whatever you're cooking and go turn on the YouTube channel because this is great. So this is this is this pastrami is actually homemade. I made this and smoked it all at home. Um, we do sell pastrami too. But this is, you know, it's all the test kitchen is my kitchen. So oh, this, I like is, this that. is my homemade pastrami. And this is a just a I made a half turkey the other night. It was it was leftover from a we, I did a demo on Sunday where I was showing people how to, you know, talk in turkey before Thanksgiving. Uh, so I, I took think home, I saw that you did. Yeah, something, so yeah. I took home, you know, the half turkey. And on Sunday night when I got home, we roasted it up. Um, so this is just oven roasted turkey breast. And this is just a little spicy mayo. You made it, the spicy mayo? I, I, it's not homemade mayo. Just okay. the, you know, the oh, organic, oh. The, sorry. It's, it's organic though. It's the organic spectrum mayonnaise. Okay. Love. Okay, um, great. And a little sriracha. Okay, great. So, so you are I'm, li- I'm going to dig in with my hands okay, because I, I make the meat. Okay. So, I, you know. I know this is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. Our show is heard on Arutsheva English Radio. And we are sponsored by Abels and Hyman. We taste better. Okay, so now we're switching a little bit of gear. We're going to talk about, we're not even going to talk about, we're going to eat some of this meat. This is a completely different kind of, this is not, this is turkey, this is... Turkey, and na- this is naval pastrami. So naval it's, it's, pastrami. Talk to me about what naval pastrami is. Naval pastrami is traditional, is you know, Jewish coming? pastrami. It is, ha- it is, um, it's from, it it's from the navel. Now, the stuff that we sell is What's not, a navel? Uh, What's a navel? Navel is the belly, beef belly. Oh, like, okay. Everyone um, see, there's a little bit of fat, and everyone's going to go. A little bit of fat, a lot of that. So everyone's the stuff go, we sell, eating that? the stuff we sell is not actually. Do I, do I eat this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where the flavor is. Okay. I mean, it's it's really good. A it's really bit? good hot. You know, Casey, yeah. came out making one. Uh, soon, soon. Okay, the, after the, the show. The mayo is really is, is is for the turkey, but it's also very good with the pastrami. Oh, oh, man. You want to take Barbara? I'll take some home. <laughs> Doesn't want to be flasic in the morning. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> Oh my God! That's good, right? 
Yeah, that's so yeah. good. The stuff I've, that I've we had make, yours before, so I knew yeah, I was getting with this. But, but the this. stuff we make commercially is not quite so fatty. I was just experimenting with a different cut to see. I, I, I like fatty meat. I like a fatty pastrami. Um, hot. So this is pastrami? This is, yeah, it's, it's pastrami. Okay, this is not what they, what's, so what's beef fry? Beef fry, beef when, bacon. I mean, yeah, you can that, make it from the same, like yeah, it. yeah, because it's, it's, it's navel. It's very fatty. So um, you know what I, I do? I take this, I lay it on yeah, um, sheets of parchment paper. Oh, this is going to be our what's for dinner segment. I was going to do a Vietnamese vegetable roll, but I think I like this one better because I've got you right here in the hot seat. I'm going to give a big shout out and you're going to order some when you place your turkey order. So this is our What's for Dinner segment sponsored by Gourmet Glass. We sell beef bacon. You got to order that. Right. Beef bacon. That's even, I mean, that's even, this is is pastrami, but you can use pastrami, fatty pastrami, or you can use beef bacon. Okay. So what you do is you take your beef bacon. You line, you take a cookie sheet, you line it with parchment paper. You really want it lined with parchment paper. Then you lay it all out in strips, and then you sprinkle it with brown sugar. And then you put it in the oven at 400 degrees. Put it in the oven. Actually, put it in the oven cold, then turn the oven on. So it slowly brings it to the um, – slowly heats it up and caramelizes it. Um, watch for burning. It burns quite quickly, but it right, takes you about – You rotate the sheet is right. the idea. Um, and then about after, like, 10 minutes, it'll be, like, um, brown and – the sugar will be brown and caramelized and loose, and it's all over the bacon – Kosher bacon, I will say that again. And then I take it out, um, I leave it on the counter to cool for a few minutes because hot sugars really, you have to be so careful. Then I take my strips of um, bacon, I drip off the extra sugar, I put it on a cutting board when that cools, I chop it all up, and then I throw it into my salads. Yeah, you can also you can also put it's on a, pa- a paper towel. We'll drain some of the extra fat and make it even crispier. Oh, there you go. That's that's one of the tricks to getting their bacon to be crispy. I mean, is the, what is draining is, on a paper is, towel? Is, is after it comes out of the pan or the sheet to put it on a I'm paper towel. This is this is something that you know most of us did not grow up eating bacon. I mean, there are there are Valtuvas oh. who know who have you know brought this knowledge into the community. Thank God. Um, but one of the tricks of making bacon is to fry it up till it's crispy and then to put on a paper towel. That drains the extra fat. So the which same al- thing with this. You can do the same thing if you do it on a cookie sheet. Okay. Let me try the turkey. Let me try the turkey, and then we're going to switch seats. One thing to note, when you guys all buy our turkeys, pastured turkey will still be a little bit pink when it's done. Cook it till it's... Oh, my God. Yeah, right? This is amazing. Oh, my goodness. So how did you prepare this oven roast? So simple. Oh, Uh, this is amazing. Oregano, um, Oregano, thyme, garlic, lemon zest, olive oil. Um... You just garlic, I say, and with garlic, gar- and you just fresh put it garlic, mixed it up, rubbed it all over the turkey and under the skin, and then sprinkled a little paprika on top, roasted it in the oven, convection roast, mm. 300 or 325. I, the USDA says cook your poultry till 180. I thought it was 165. They, they may even say 180. I cook my turkey till 150, and then I take it out of the oven. Um, and then ten- carry over ten- here. And, and tent it, and then it gets the temperature, and that's it. It's like the easiest thing in the world. Oh my god! I mean, we did it. We when we started testing these Thanksgiving recipes, we did the we did the half turkey for one Shabbos, and Anna was like, "Wait, why don't we do this every week? This has got to be the easiest dinner ever." You just it's it's a half turkey. It's you amazing. rub it, and the and the half the half turkeys cook really quickly. I'm because- gonna do turkey and duck for Shabbos this week because you gave me a, tur- a duck. There's nothing like duck and turkey. No. I I've made a turk duck and I know how to make a turk duck. And if you want to <laughs> know, give me a call. Um, this afternoon, and I'll be happy to walk you through how to make a turk duck. You need a duck, a chicken, and a and a and a turkey. See, I'm yes. I'm selling three things for you. And then, can you bone it out? You can't bone it out. We you won't. have to bone it out at home. But we'll talk about that when you call me. <laughs> Send me an that email. Is good All right, Naftali. 
Thank you so much. This My is pleasure. amazing. You, please feel free to stick around. You Thank guys are going to switch seats. Should I leave the meat here? Oh, uh, take it over there, okay. and then we'll, we'll eat it later. Maybe at the end of the show, Barbara may change her mind. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. Go down. Come back. Yeah. We are on the Lower East Side, uh, table for two. Right here uh, at the Nakam Siegel Network, we're having a great time. As always, we always have a good time. We always have amazing guests, and this show is no different. Can I have your book? I'm just going to hold this yeah. up to – we have a camera going over here. A Well-Spiced Life, Barbara Bensasoon. Uh, thank you for joining me, um, and I'm really glad that you're here because – it's, I'm always asking questions. That's my, I think that's maybe why I got to do this. Come a little closer. Because mm-hmm. I pretend, like, not that I pretend, I don't know a lot of things, but I'm always curious. So I'm always asking questions. When I have guests on my show, like, I don't assume that everybody knows everything. So I want to keep asking the questions because if I don't know it, they don't know it, you know, and vice versa. So, you know, I'm glad that you got to ask questions because there was some stuff I did not think of. I, I feel very awkward being in the, 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 the position of being the one who's being asked the questions of, because as a journalist, I'm usually the one right. asking all the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I know the tables are turned, right? Uh-huh. I know. I've, I've been interviewed a bunch of times recently, and I'm like, oh, this is what it feels like. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so Barbara is a very talented writer. Um, who, you write for Mishpacha, any other? I write for Mishpacha. I do a piece or two a year for Jewish Action. I okay. do private work. I do... I do some writing coaching on the side, uh, tutoring, whatever life sends my way. You could teach me. (laughs) I'm such a bad writer. So much part of my business has become writing. So, you know, I'm really about the recipe and how it's going to taste. And you have to write a paragraph before and I'm like, I need help. But, yeah, I can talk my way through anything. So I can't write. But that's why I really enjoy reading a good book. Um, I was an English teacher um, in another life, so. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That definitely, it definitely shows through. Your book is amazing. And I, and I said to you in a text, um, when we were texting, planning the show, I said, your book doesn't only speak to me, it speaks to my neshama. I just, it really caught me like deep inside and I really Ooh. enjoyed your story. Um, I would like to share with our listeners, you know, a little go bit ahead. about your story. Um, I'm going to ask you some questions. As a young child, a well, young adult, you grew up in an orthodox, in a in a non-observant home in Philadelphia, right. very traditional, bagels and locks. Right, bagels I, and locks. Bagels and locks. Yes. You know, like strong, very proudly Jewish. Very proudly identified. Jewish. Um, and then you kind of had a journey. You want to share your journey with us a little bit? Uh, it's always hard to condense these things into I know, uh, hard, a few that's sentences. Why everybody's going to order the book right now. Yes, um, you've placed your meat order. You're still on the computer listening, and you're going to go to Amazon? You can get it through Amazon. You can get it through the Israel Bookshop Publications website. You can ask at your local Jewish bookstore for it. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, so you can hear more depth and more detail about right, Barbara. Right. It's a great uh, Hanukkah it's a great read ha- for people I if know, you're shopping. It's great. Yeah. It's great. I'm like halfway through because I happen to be a very slow reader. Um, I'm halfway through, so, you know. Um, I've, I've skimmed I've, the second half. I've read all the recipes. That's for sure. Oh, okay, good for you. <laughs> that, that's what I'm all about. Okay, so and then you you went to Israel. So, uh, I was um, a, actually a doctoral student in psychology. I was okay. on my way to finishing up a PhD, and one of my friends became religious through a brother who had be- become religious with Or Sameach and started going to Shurim. There was actually Rabbi Mordechai Swatiski who um, is now I think at Or Sameach in Muncie. 
he used to drive. He was then in the Colel in, in Detroit. He used to drive to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I was in school, and give a shear. And there were only maybe three or four of us, but he still made that 45-minute drive every That's week. Beautiful. And at the time, Neve was offering these programs to go to Eretz Israel. $600, they paid your plane fare, your room and board, and your classes. And I thought, I, I'm like right. you, I love to travel. And I'd never been to Israel. And I so thought, travel I, junkie. I, 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 I can't pass this up. Right. And there was no birthright back then. There was no birthright back, back then. And I had also won an award for teaching, $700. So <gasps> I felt like Hashem money. just gave me the money and said, here, go. And I knew it was going to be yeshiva, but then, I thought, okay, they're not going to tie me to my chair, you know, so I like it right. or I won't you like it. In the you know, yeah, it's like, you know, okay, it's two months, why not? So, so I went and, um, I think I was, because I was a little older, I was in my, you know, mid twenties, not 19. I wasn't like blown away by Neve, but I came back convinced enough, I think, as much by the, the land of Israel and the people and the feeling of being in a place where everybody was Jewish and being in Jerusalem where almost Everybody seemed to be observant. I said, this is, this is an option. Like, people really live, do live like this. Um, and I came back saying, you know, there's something here. I need to keep kosher. I need to start keeping Shabbos in some way, shape, or form. And I don't know how far this is going to take me. In the meantime, my last week there, I was – a friend and I had decided we need a day off from this. It was right after the three <laughs> weeks. And I had barely even knew what Tisha B'Av was. And here they're telling us, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't do your laundry, and you can't eat – you know. Right. We needed a break. We said, let's go to Netanya. We love Netanya. So we ran off, and I was basically walking on the street and kind of tripped over my husband and started. we started speaking. And then beautiful? he said, let's go get a coffee. <laughs> I wish it was that uh, simple these days, right? Right, exactly. I always say, Hashem made our uh, That's so nice. But as I said, it was my last week there. I didn't think anything was going to come of it. But I got back home to Michigan, found a letter waiting for me, and we stayed in touch. And he lived in France at the time, so I visited him there. I ended up spending a summer in France to date, and we ended up getting married. And Where did you get married? Here? In yeah, States? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Was it a big, big culture shock between the two countries? Was he fr- He's French. My husband grew up in Morocco, went to university in France, in okay. Strasbourg, ah. and then I was living there when we met. Okay. And then we ended up coming to America just for... A technicality because the visas were so hard to get. He was right. still a Moroccan citizen, and I was an American, and neither of us were able to work full-time in France. So we ah. just said, you know what, it's just easier for him to come here, do a civil marriage right away, get the green card. Yeah, I had a green card. Is he a citizen now? Yes, Baruch Hashem. Yeah, I became a citizen, uh, I think, four years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was living here for 19 years. In fact... This Thanksgiving is going to be my 24th year in America. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like, I still say, I'm going to make Aliyah. My husband's like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, my, when my husband was applying, they lost his file at one point. <gasps> now it's all computerized. And it just slept and slept. And he ended up getting his citizenship, I think, the July before 9-11. And that wow, was so lucky because he, as a Moroccan citizen, it would have been so much harder to get it afterwards. Right, right. So. And how long are you guys married now? Almost 30 years. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I just Thank had God. 22 years. DK. <laughs> DK's the baby in the room. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, 10? Yeah, oh, no, it was Naf. Naf. Naf went to fill his, uh, his meter. He'll be joining us again as we sign out. But, um, yeah, so, um, you've grazed your children in America. Raised them in America. They grew up in Flatbush and they're just exposed to everything. I mean, right. they know, you know, they went to Ashkenazi yeshivas. 
but they know Moroccans and Persians and Syrians and Lebanese and so everything. So what do you eat? God. What is what does the Ben Sassoon family eat? Because you grew up Ashkenaz, so I grew up Ashkenaz also. And for me, Shabbat is herring and gefilte fish and chicken soup and matzah balls and brisket and, you know. So I didn't really grow up with Shabbos. My mother right. sometimes would make a Friday night meal, but I didn't grow up with this every Friday night is gefilte fish and roast chicken right. and every Shabbos lunch is cholent. So because I met my husband as I was taking on Shabbos, so for me, Shabbos from the beginning really was a Moroccan Shabbos. Okay, so let's talk about what a Moroccan Shabbos is and talk about uh, your favorite. Well, then we'll talk about the Moroccan right. part of the book. Okay. So a Moroccan Shabbos, I think I spend the most time making those salatim, all the Moroccan salads. Mm. We I, all I love them. I say Moroccans are the best cooks. I think so. They really are. So you can't start without six or seven or, you know, 15 salads on your table. Then they move on to fish. Do you, do you do this at home every week? I don't make 15. I make six, maybe. I'm coming plus, to your you know, house. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Nachman family might we, show up. <laughs> <laughs> with great pleasure. Uh, then we have fish. I have a Moroccan fi- friend who told me once, I'm, we, we were a big family. My mother had eight kids, and every Shabbat she made, or Arab Shabbat, she made three kinds of fish. She made fish balls, she made fried fish, and she made the Moroccan fish with the red sauce. Oh, I love it. So, I have a recipe for it, um, too. Then we, we usually have soup. Not all Moroccans do soup every week. Okay. And then... Like, and then a, chi- she, like a chicken soup? They prefer like a vegetable soup, something huh? pureed, a chickpea soup or a... Mm, chickpea I soup. I don't know, mm-hmm. a squash soup or something along those lines. And then we have our meats. I, I usually, personally, I make a, a chicken and a meat Okay. You know, and a grain, a couscous, a rice, something. And they're not so into desserts. Their okay. idea of dessert is um, fruit. Oh, like, that's, that's not That's how you do it. La- There's no need for dessert. Well, I agree. No, Eat dessert Shabbos morning. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's cheesecake and coffee in Shabbat morning. And I really, I, I very rarely make dessert because I love the food part, like the main courses uh-huh. and salatim. And- I kind of like a cookie. <laughs> I don't have such a sweet We tea. always have, you know, some cookies or something. Okay. And garanim. Garanim. Seeds, yeah. right? Put yes. it in the tea. You have to know how to open it in one, you know, movement. You put it in your mouth, you extract the seed, and you throw out the shell. You don't sit there, crack, you know, peeling, peeling it, it open. Apart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I can actually do it. My mother grew up in Israel for the first uh, half of her life, so. Uh-huh. All right, so nice. That's, that's so, for, so for dinner, do you make, like, Typical American food, or do you make more Sephardi style? Like, what are your kids used to? Uh, hmm. Well, it's a real mix. I right. can do. I'll do a stir fry. I'll do grilled yeah. baby like chicken. Like a typical, I'll like do, a typical yeah, mum, right? Like fish. we don't do a lot of dairy. Moroccans just don't okay. dairy much. Why? So yeah, I think they didn't have probably they access didn't to it. Have in a lot of access to Israel. Right. Um, they right. might have gotten some butter. They might have imported a few cheeses from France, but that was always like a breakfast food. They would never have lasagna for dinner, you know, or, right. or big ziti or pizza. It just wasn't part of their culture. Yeah. It's part of the culture. That's really interesting. Most of my Mor- Moroccan friends have maybe one pot and one saucepan for chalavi and right. nothing but, else. But think about how much pots and pans we have in general, like for even, even we do eat milk. My fleshic sets are way bigger than my milk. Right. Because so. you need for yanta. Right. Right. We, we love to cook. Okay, so um, when did you decide to write a book to share your journey? Uh, it originally grew out of, for several years I was writing for the Hamudia, and I used to do a column on Sephardic food. 
Okay. And I always felt that I wanted to do more with them. So some of those columns were revamped and expanded for, for the book. Uh, and then, I, I don't know, I think I just wanted to tell my story a little bit and share some of what I've gleaned over all these years of living in Flatbush and getting to know this whole rainbow of different kinds of Spartan. Right. What's a that, highlight for you from the book? A highlight from the book? I've stumped you. Uh-oh. Yes, stumped, you have. I, I stumped the journalist. Uh, oh, oh. I was just thinking, I was looking over it um, briefly before I came, and there's, um, I, I wrote a piece got, about Pesach. With Alan Schwartz? Yes. <laughs> Look at my notes. <laughs> Look at my notes. Um, yeah, right. I have it here. I wrote it somewhere. Here, anyway, yeah. Pesach with Alan Schwartz. Very sweet. So there's a funny story about Very this. Very funny story. Please that, give that, that over. That essay started out, I think it was originally published in Jewish Action, or a part of it was. Right, so funny. On their website. So I was talking about how when I was a little kid in elementary school, it was a very non-Jewish school, and there was one other Jewish kid in my class. His name was Alan Schwartz, and we were like best buddies for several years running in school. Were you like the two Jewish kids? We were the two Jewish kids in school, right. And he got the best grades in the class of the boys, and I got the best grades in the class of the girls. Yiddish cops. Yiddish cops, right. (laughs) And um, I remember him asking me once, does your family keep kosher on, it was Pesach, and we're sitting there eating our, like, chicken legs and matzah from home. He said, does your family keep kosher on Pesach or all year round? And I didn't even know really what it meant to keep kosher or, like, kosher for Pesach. I said, "Uh, just on Pesach. And he said, oh, you know, and he said something like, you know, well, we we keep kosher. And, And, like, years later, I thought, I wonder whatever happened to Alan Schwartz. Does he keep kosher? You know, does he... You know, here I'm keeping, like, if he asked me today, because they, oh, yes, Alan, we keep so kosher. We Boy, have, are we kosher. We are you Israel? Yes. Uh-huh. So that piece came out in the, um, on Jewish Action's website. Well, wouldn't you know, I get an answer through Jewish Action saying, Alan Schwartz read your article. He now calls himself Aaron Schwartz. He lives in Ramat Beit Shemesh. He's now a sofer. And he became religious. So he, we, we assume he keeps kosher. We assume, yeah, I think so. Oh my god! It's just so funny how people's That's really paths run on I was similar tracks. Sometimes. I was actually when I was reading, I'm like, and I finished that part. I'm like, I wonder if she ever got in touch with him. But I know there's a Rabbi Alan Schwartz in Manhattan. Who I'm runs, sure there's a zillion Rabbi right, Alan, Alan Schwartz. Is. Is right, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that was his name um, at the OZ, and I was thinking maybe that was him. And you were going to say, oh, and now he's a big Rav on the Upper West Side. But really, he's now a big Rav in Ramat Yes, so. yeah. Wow, you never know, right? That was, that was, I yeah. thought that was, that really struck me, you know, so in, in your story. Very nice. Okay, can we talk about food? Let's talk about food. Okay, what yes. is the typical Sephardi spice? Oh, you have shakshuka in here. <laughs> the typical Sephardi spice? Yeah, what's a really Sephardi spice? Because I think Turmeric. Because in, in Ashkenaz, it's just sugar. <laughs> There's right. so much sugar in Ashkenazi oh. food is so sweet, right? It's right. sugar. The Spartan are always very shocked by sweet gefilte fish. Like, what is this? You know? I know, right? <laughs> yeah. We have very sweet gefilte fish at home. Okay, so, so turmeric. Turmeric a lot. Moroccans like their food to look nice. Right. So they like that golden um, color that the turmeric gives to chicken and many other things. I've started using it very liberally ever since I read that it's um, people think it's a preventer for Alzheimer's. Oh, really? So I just, you know, dose it on. <laughs> It's we don't want Alzheimer's. Your house is bright yellow. <laughs> I think the Persians also use a lot of turmeric. What 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 um taste does turmeric have for our listeners who are unfamiliar with it? How would you describe the flavor? It's it's definitely very yellow, and you get it right. when you get it with oil and 
under your fingers. It's so it's, strong. I it's mean, not it's, very it's pungent. mustard. It gives mustard the yellow color. So you have the, a hint of it in mustard. Um, as I say, you can use it quite a bit because it's not such a strong right, taste. Right, right. No. It's there for, like paprika. It's there for right. color. And they as use well. paprika a lot also for color and for flavor. And not just regular paprika, but also the, the hot, you know, harif, spicy right. paprika. Moroccan food is quite spicy. It's not really. It's not necessarily harif. Okay. There are, pe- there are people it who like kick. it, you know, very hot. I know Moroccans who like their food very. a little incendiary. <laughs> but, um, most I hate of, when my lips throb. Yeah, but most of them, I find, no, they just, it's flavorful. Right. It's well-spiced, but it's not um, dangerous. Okay. <laughs> Clear out the right. nose and the eyes, yeah. Right. I mean, I like a lot of cumin, so I, I see that there's a right. lot of we cumin. Use cumin, and, and the, the Syrians are very into allspice. So what is allspice? What's it? A bl- it's a blend of different spices. No, it no? is it is a spice, but it tastes like a blend of nutmeg and cloves and um, what else? Maybe cinnamon. It tastes like a spice blend. But it's not. It's it's no, no. It's a dough. berry. It's a berry. It's a berry. Yeah. Oh, see, I thought it was a, like a curry is not really a spice. It's a blend right, right. of different spices. So mm-hmm. I actually thought allspice was. I thought it was cinnamon and nutmeg and right. No, no, no. See, we're learning something every day right Uh here on Table for Two. Right. So apparently Syria was once also kind of a cultural crossroads, crossroads, the same way Morocco also was. Right. Crossroads of So they had a lot of, like a series in between Turkey and Asia and, you know, and Morocco is situated, right, right under Spain. Right. So you had the European plus, you know, from Europe from the north and Africa from the south and the Arabs, you know, right there and, and to the east. It was a melting pot of spices. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I see. I've. What's a Tunisian yo-yo? Am it's I saying like, it's, it's like a donut or a beignet? Oh, okay. Because right. I know a Moroccan svenge. I right. know what that is. Mm-hmm. Svenge. It's. Uh, we have very good friends in Israel. Um, she's Moroccan and she's married to an Ashkenazi guy. And we were there for dinner. And at the end of the meal, she had this big pot of dough. She didn't want to make it before dinner. It had to be fresh. Yes. And she made fresh svenge and it was like oh my god it's like it's like a cousin of a donut yes so uh-huh. i you know I'm, i would really suggest you pick up this book before hanukkah and pick up a, a few of them because they are such great gifts i think so if you like to read about food and you like to read about people's stories right so it's a memoir it's not it's not your typical cookbook it's because it's all about barbara's journey it's got at the end of each section um she says she signed mine um <laughs> She has uh, the uh, recipes at the back of each chapter. So there's all different uh, recipes in there. Uh, over 20 recipes of more, right? Probably more. Probably I more. Never counted. Right, uh, right. It's more, <laughs> you, uh, you know. probably knew at one point. Short um, because pieces, only, like essays or personal essays that have to do with food and a recipe to at follow. the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's really absolutely fabulous. I am going to be making some stuff. Okay. Okay. Naftali, you can just Where say. Where can we buy the cookbook? Where can we buy the cookbook? Oh, when you were feeding the meter, we gave it a big shout out. Amazon. Where else do we buy the it? The Israel Bookshop Publications yeah. website or yeah. your local Jewish bookstore. If you don't see it, ask for it. You can always ask questions because we're one family here at Table for Two and everybody's interested and excited to hear what we all have to say. All I have to say, make sure uh, you grab your the coupon table for two. Remember, it's T-A-B-L-E, number four, T-W-O, for the amazing meat at Grow and Behold. Your turkey orders must be in by Matzah Shabbos, okay, as well as your meat. You 10 a.m. on Sunday for Monday delivery and Sunday night for Tuesday delivery. Okay, we really need your food in because you're going to want it.
you're going to want to place your orders. You will not be disappointed. I promise. You can email me for some recipes, and I believe you have recipes. Got on recipes your- all over the website. It's growandbehold.com. If you miss the deadline, we can still ship your order right to your house. We'll get you covered either way. Don't worry. Oh, you're so good. Barbara has joined us from Brooklyn. We've had a chat about her book, A Well Spiced Life, Amazon.com, or the Israel Bookshop publications. It is a fabulous read. Really, I'm not. I, I, a lot of books come across my way um, and a lot, a lot of cookbooks and I just enjoy this so much because it's more than just a cookbook. So you know, if you like to read and a really someone who really touches your soul, you're going to pick up the book today. Um, all right, great. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nakam Siegel Network right here on the Lower East Side. Stay listening. We have music sponsored by our friends Kerem right up until Lich Benching. Our show is sponsored by Abels and Hyman. We taste better. Shifra Klein, Joe of Kosher will be on next week. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>